0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Strained peas and carrots, chicken fingers, or mac and cheese, they're convenient for your kids and yummy, I'm sure. But at the end of a hectic day, you deserve to reward yourself with something delicious and nutritious. I know, you're thinking, lovely idea, but who has the time or energy to cook? I get that. With Factor, that's F-A-C-T-O-R, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prep, no cooking, and no cleanup. Always fresh, never frozen. There are over 35 options each week to choose from, including calorie smart, protein plus, keto, and more. They even have smoothies, wellness shots, and nutritious snacks. Plus, Factor meals are less expensive than takeout. So sign up, save, and treat yourself to the fine cuisine you deserve. Head to factormeals.com unruffled50 and use code unruffled50 to get 50% off. That's code unruffled50 at factormeals.com unruffled50 to get 50% off. Bon appétit. Like a lot of people I grew up loving music from classic Disney films. In fact my sisters and I used to perform plays for the neighborhood that were basically just us lip-syncing to Disney movie soundtracks. And when I was raising my own kids I found that music could be a wonderful cure for afternoon doldrums, interactive entertainment for car rides, or whenever I had work to do. One of my kids even learned to read from following along on songbooks. When the music was on, I'd usually find myself dancing away, singing along, and sometimes we'd all break into a goofy, impromptu dance party. Disney Junior Hits is the official music playlist for songs from your favorite Disney Junior shows, and now it's easier than ever to access them. Just search for Disney Junior Hits, available wherever you stream your music. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury, and in this episode of Unruffled, I'm going to be answering a question from a parent about dealing with conflicts with multiple children in the home. I've been reading and listening and working hard to parent my three children within a RI framework. I have two three-year-olds and a one-year-old, and I'm home full-time. Adding to the toddler boiler room dynamic we co-house with another family. To clarify, we share a duplex so each family has access to each other's homes, but we keep separate homes. They have a 6-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 20-month-old with a parent at home full-time as well. I believe we all work well together and we have six fantastic kids, but some days it gets really loud and stressful at our house. Our older four children are often allowed to freely move between the public living spaces in each house. My hands are almost always full with another child or with a time-sensitive task, such as getting a meal to the table. I structure our days so that we don't end up in situations where we are under pressure because time is short. I start cooking meals days in advance of when we need them. We pick out clothes for the morning, the night before, if we have to be somewhere on time, etc. I also think we have very healthy and clear boundaries between our families. Both at-home parents do a great job of pulling their own children back to home base when we are not able to closely monitor them or need to get something important done. One of my biggest challenges at this moment in our life at home is that I am simply not always able to block every hit or hair pull or intervene to ensure follow-through on all of my requests before disobedience persists so long that I'm way over my limits with anger and frustration. I truly embrace respectful parenting in my heart, but some days and moments it feels impossible to make it through the task at hand with a wry approach. It just feels like I would need to be three people to pull it off. The mama bear attitude is beautiful, but it feels as if it also requires me to be physically present for each child in a timely manner when difficult situations are unfolding. So many of the examples that parents send in and you respond to are situations where a parent or multiple parents are dealing with a single child one-on-one. I can count on my fingers the number of moments in our family life where I've had the opportunity to be with any of my children one-on-one. This has been a topic of conversation in one of my parents of multiples groups, that we all love your work but that it feels so far out of reach and unrealistic to respond before things escalate. Can you speak to this? Give me some guidance about how to handle things when I'm stepping in after anger is through the roof, mine or one of my children's. Respectful, thoughtful ways of responding when I'm intervening on a violent conflict after it has happened. Again, the parents in our home do make every attempt to prevent things from unraveling in the first place, but it does happen often. I've read Siblings Without Rivalry. I hope to read it again and again, but I could also use more specific guidance related to very young children. I hope you can address this question in the podcast, as that's my best chance of being able to sit with your response multiple times, as I'm likely going to need to. Thanks so much, Janet. You really help me stay focused on what I'm aiming for, especially when it seems impossible. All our grown-ups are listening and following. Emily. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Okay, so there's a lot to address here. But I wanted to start with what stuck out for me reading this note, where I kind of stopped and wanted to hear more. Ask Emily a question and explore. It's when she said, One of my biggest challenges at this moment in our life at home is that I'm simply not always able to block every hit or hair pull or intervene to ensure follow-through on all of my requests before disobedience persists so long that I'm way over my limits with anger and frustration. So what I want to know is what Emily is seeing and hearing and feeling that is making her feel angry and frustrated. Now, this isn't to say that I would judge a parent for feeling angry or frustrated in this situation one tiny bit. Quite the opposite, in fact. I've been there. I think we've all been there. My focus on this is because this is the crux of the issue as I see it, We are very very powerful as parents. We will never have this much power over another human being as we do as parents, especially when we have small children. What we feel changes everything, creates issues. And so rather than uh, judge myself for feeling angry and being frustrated, as we often do when we lose it, we feel very guilty, we feel that we're terrible parents, What's important is to maybe let those feelings pass through us so that we've felt them. Okay, I feel really crummy that I did this. Now let me let this pass and let me take the next baby step forward in my process so I can move on and learn from this. And the next step in this situation is to take a look at what we're seeing that we're getting angry about. I just want to talk for a quick moment about self-judgment and judgment, because I think it might be valuable. When I first started learning about this approach as a parent of a three-month old, I had a teacher, it wasn't Magda Gerber yet, who I disliked. And I don't know if I've told her this, but I will. I'd be happy to talk to her about it. So I feel okay about saying it here. I disliked her because I felt so judged by her. I felt like everything she was telling me was a slap in the face. And it took me a while to realize that the reason I felt that way is because it was different from what I've been doing and it triggered my self-judgment, which is an issue I've had as long as I can remember. A lot of self-criticism, a lot of self-judgment to the point that it can cripple learning. And I think this is what happens to us. It cripples us. It makes it hard for us to move forward we waste a lot of time and energy feeling bad about ourselves or taking information personally. What I realized eventually was that this teacher was actually being direct. She was giving the information out. And I found the information so compelling that I kept going. But I still felt judged by the teacher because she made me feel bad about it. Myself, I thought she was making me feel bad about myself. It was really me that was making me feel bad about myself. And in fact, she eventually became a mentor to me and was the one that encouraged me to go study with Magda Gerber and carry on with this training. And I'm just beyond grateful for that. So she's become very precious to me. Anyway, I'm. I only bring this up because I know the crippling effect of self judgment, and so. In this medium, I really have no choice but to be direct, or I could do a two-hour podcast padded with a lot of uh, couching everything and, and all of that. I don't think people really want to listen to that, so I'm going to be pretty direct. And I just hope that everyone knows that I do not feel judgmental towards anybody that I'm dealing with, with these questions or, or talking to or responding to. So, that said... I hope that this information that I'm, I feel really important to give Emily will be something she can process taking an honest look at herself and what's going on. Here are some common reasons that we feel angry with children in these situations. One, perhaps we were never allowed to raise voices or exhibit any aggressive behavior ever at home when we were children. And so these natural feelings got suppressed. And now every time our child is exhibiting this kind of behavior, we get triggered and taps into these repressed feelings that we have. And so we feel explosive with them. We feel (laughs) angry with them. That's one reason. Another reason, we're taking on way too much. And I think this is a big part of what's happening with Emily. I feel like Emily is expecting so much of herself. It feels like I would need to be three people to pull it off. Yes, she would need to be three people to pull off what she wants to pull off. And if she did have three people doing it, it actually wouldn't be that effective because children need to develop their relationships. There is going to be noise, conflict, people are going to get their hair pulled. These things are going to happen in groups of children. I maybe haven't spoken enough about this or written enough about this, and I do apologize for that. I've tried to touch on it in some of my sibling posts, and I think I do touch on it a bit in one of my podcasts, Toddler Toy Battles, Interventions at Work. I believe in that one. I haven't listened to it for a long time. But it's so important for children that are living together to develop their relationships. And in one sense, the more we intervene in that and insert ourselves into the situation, the harder it is for them because they want to keep they'll want to keep pulling us into the situation. So I think what Emily is seeing as crisis, I've got to step in or my bad for not stopping this before it escalated, is really typical, normal, expected behavior, healthy even. And so I would love to relieve Emily of this job and this responsibility of having a quiet, happy house with this many children. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So let's let go of that one and see what's realistic here and see what she can do that will be helpful. Now, another reason get angry is guys, how could you do this to me? You're making me feel so bad. And I don't, you see my part in this. I have to do this and that and the other thing. And, and come on, you're not being fair. All of that. Totally understand. Been there. Or again, feeling bad about myself. I'm being a bad mom and that's making me angry at myself. And so I'm going to be angry at you. To fix this for ourselves, we can't just say, okay, now I'm going to control myself. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. That's not going to work. It's about the way we see the children, the way we see our role with the children. This is what will help us not to actually feel angry because we can't fake it. Will we still feel angry sometimes? Yes, we will still feel angry at the end of some days when we're tired and frustrated and it's just been a hard day for us and other personal things may have happened, just as they do with children that make them lash out. They take out on these people that they live with, these these people that they trust, these people that they love. This is what we do, (laughs) all of us at all ages. When we're not feeling good about something, we've had a rough day or stressful or disappointing or things have happened that we've felt bad about, we tend to show it in our behavior. Less so as we're older, but in these early years, impulse control is very, very low. And yes, we're going to be all over the place with our behavior at the end of the day or during the day. So your first statement here that I looked onto, one of my biggest challenges is to what to do when I'm not able to block every hit or hair pull or intervene or ensure follow through. That's right. You're not going to be able to. Let go of that. That's not your responsibility here. I think, and I apologize if I haven't been clear about this, that if you are in the room and you're close by and something is happening right in front of you, yes, I would step in and say, I see you're, you're not happy about this and you want to hit her. I'm going to stop you. But I see you're, you didn't like that that happened that way. Whatever the specifics are, That's all I would comment on, and I would let the children know I'm keeping them safe and that I'm not blaming anybody. But if I'm out in another room making dinner, doing something else, and I hear stuff, I'll I'll be listening. I'll be listening to hear if it's escalating, if someone's screaming, and then I'll get to a point where I can stop with what I'm doing and walk in there. There are very few situations that are actually urgent enough that we'll need to run in. Number one, prevent, which it sounds like you're doing to a great extent. All this planning that you have to do with all these children, you're handling all of this beautifully. You're preventing a lot of uh, people getting to their wit's end, which is the crux of the issue. Um, But what goes on beyond that, what goes on with them with their safe toys is not urgent. Yeah, we don't like to see them hitting each other, hurting each other, and we want to keep those those younger ones out of the fray as much as possible because they're not ready to be in these situations interacting with children that much older. They are a little too young. So yeah, you're 12-month-old. I would have, ideally, if you could create some kind of little separate area that's visible to you when you're in the kitchen. Um, if that's possible, that would be ideal so that that child can be safely playing If other children wanted to come in and join that child playing there, they could go in and they could go in with your somewhat supervision. And if they couldn't handle the situation in there gracefully, then you would invite them to leave or escort them out. But again, walking in is very important. Your feelings about this are very important. If you see this as normal behavior, you're far less likely to come in angry and you're far less likely to get frustrated. And the reason this is so crucial is that when children are acting out, they on some level feel uncomfortable. And what happens then if here's this really uncomfortable leader coming in, dysregulated, that's going to charge everything up, that's going to amp everything up, that's going to actually create more discomfort and more issues between the children. This is why it's so important to look at why you're coming in that way taking a clinical look at it, and then understanding how your perspective will ideally need to change to one that is more realistic, healthier, and will allow you to let go of some of these plates that you're trying to keep spinning in the air. Yes, you would need three people to keep everything spinning and everybody happy. The truth is, when you have even two children you are going to usually have one of them <laughs> crying, especially late in the day when you're making dinner. Somebody's going to be whining. Somebody's going to be crying. The rarity will be when everybody's playing peacefully together. So let's help you get a more realistic perspective so that you can relax. Now, another reason that you might be getting angry is that it's this same child that's always the aggressor, and this other child is always the seems helpless in the situation, and you feel worried about that helpless child, and you feel angry at that aggressive child or worried that they're becoming a mean child, and you've done it all wrong with them, and this is how they've turned out. Again, this is all typical, normal, age-appropriate behavior for three-year-olds, for four-year-olds. And what can make it more pronounced is the way that we handle it. So, now I'd like to help you with some of your other questions and comments. Like, well, okay, this we've been talking about that it feels so far out of reach and unrealistic to respond before things escalate. That's true, it's unrealistic. So, let's put that in the unrealistic pile, (laughs) let that one float out to sea. Sometimes it'll happen. Sometimes you'll be there and you'll be able to do something. Mostly your job is going to be preventative. And again, the big issue with preventative is your feelings about these situations. That's going to be the most preventative thing you can do, understanding and visualizing a different way to come in, visualizing these children differently, visualizing, you know, I, you mentioned the mama bear and papa bear imagery that I've used. I've also used one for children in my article, Stop Being Threatened by Your Child's Behavior, about seeing them as teddy bears. Yes, of course, we respect them as people. But the truth is, it's easy for us to forget when we see how capable they are and how smart they are and how together they seem in some moments. It's easy for us to forget that these are three-year-olds. Those are babies. They're babies and they're wailing on each other and they're screaming and they're not getting along. These are tiny, tiny people. So take a step back and really see your children for what they are. They always seem so big and looming large to us and everything they do is feel so crucial and important. They're tiny. They're babies. It's going to be messy between them. They're just learning how to be with other people. They're getting a great learning lab with your situation. They're all going to be social experts coming out of that situation. So that's this wonderful opportunity you're giving them, but it's not going to be smooth and happiness and peace. It's going to be loud and raucous and up and down and stormy and all those things. So yes, let's be realistic. That's going to help you a lot. And then guidance about how to handle things when I'm stepping in after the anger is through the roof. Mine or one of the children's. Okay, so our anger that we have is up to us. And this is the good news here. This is the most important part of the situation. We can control this. Not easily, not always, but we can get a handle on this if we really practice visualizing these little teddy bears, taking a step back, really looking at them, seeing that they're doing healthy, normal things, nothing alarming, nothing that requires urgency on our part, not really that much that we're even supposed to fix or anything that we're supposed to fix We're going to help coach them when we can with their relationship, when it works for us to do that, when we're able to. So coming in with curiosity, that's a good one, I think, to keep in mind, to help get in the right frame of mind. Wow, I heard that. What's going on? Even if you're pretty sure that you know who did what and what, you know, who started it and what happened, and just come in with an open mind because your children need that openness from you. So that the only things that are going on are theirs. We're not bringing our own into it. So we're coming in with an open mind. And let's say things have already gone through the roof for them. Not us, because we've been working on it, but for them. So we come in. Whoa, wow, I hear you. Susie, I hear you. You look upset. And she's screaming, "Eh," you know, Sally hit me. Oh, it sounds like you didn't like that. Not looking at her with this tragic expression on her face and, uh, oh gosh, I'm so worried about you. And you poor thing, because this is the child that usually gets the brunt of things and seems to not stand up for herself. And we're not feeding into that. Because what happens when we do that is that child actually has a harder time stepping out of this projection that we've that they are helpless and unable to handle themselves in situations with their own sibling, their twin. They feel less empowered, they feel less confident. They see it in our face that, oh my gosh, you're weak, you're fragile, you can't do this. So it's, again, so crucial to come in with an open mind, just hearing and speaking to the strength in each child. With twins, there is often a more dominant child and a child that's less dominant, and that's okay. That's the way it is. It may not be the way it is forever either, but that's just the way it is. It's just something that they're going through right now, and both children need us to be open to them as we would if this was the first time they ever did it, whatever they did or got in the situation, see things as in the moment, as children do, and be curious. Oh, what happened? Oh, you sounds like you didn't like that. Talk to their strengths. Speak to their strengths. Speak to the person in there who may look like they've melted into a puddle, but is actually saying, "I don't like this." Unless they're really hurt, usually they aren't. But I mean, if they're if they're really really hurt, then ow that hurts. Again, I would talk to children as the strong beings that I believe they are. Inside that child that's has, you know, the back of her hand on her head, and forehead, and is, ah, this is the worst thing that could ever happen in my life. This horrible, terrible thing just happened. I'm devastated. There is a bit of drama there. And you'll see with, with twins and siblings and groups of children that are together all the time, that they do kind of play their role in the drama. It doesn't mean they're faking it. It just means that they just dive into it a little deeper than they're really feeling. They go for it. And so I trust that child that's feeling like, gosh, so devastated. I trust that there's a strong person in there that's chosen this role for whatever reason. And I wouldn't be the one placing them in the roles, though. I would keep myself out of it, keep myself open, keep myself curious, so that it really was just them exploring how to be in relationship with each other. So what I would actually say is something like, whoa, what happened? Or, hey, what's what's going on? Wow, you're really upset. So-and-so hit me. Oh, you didn't like that. I see. Not saying a lot. Really just being there, being open. And now maybe you look at the other child, you don't get into that. Look at her, you upset her and you shouldn't do that because this child already knows she did something before she even did it. She knew she wasn't supposed to do it, but she did it because her impulses made her do it. Her emotions in that moment made her do it. She doesn't know why she did it, but she does know that we didn't want her to do that. So if we get into that again... That's not safe. How could you do that? Don't do that. Don't or, that's not okay or we don't hit or whatever the words are. That's just giving that child the message that we may have already given her <laughs> because it's easy to give the child in this position the message that we disapprove of their behavior a lot of the time. And you know, children are unable to compartmentalize, well, this is just about my behavior. They really feel it in their whole heart and body that they don't like what I did. They don't like me right now. They don't like this part of me. And when they do something impulsive that we don't like and we let them know that we're not happy with what they did, then it's like, I don't even know why I did that. So, ah, uh, yikes, I really can't trust myself because I don't even know why I did it myself and yet I made everybody unhappy with me. So that is not the kind of, message that will help this child to behave in a kinder way. It will actually make them want to lash out even more because they feel so unsafe in our regard for them. They feel so uncomfortable. So the most I would say is something like, what do you think made you hit? With that kind of openness, not like, why did you hit? And then they say, uh, your child says, She took that toy or she was trying to take a toy away from me. Oh, you didn't like that. You didn't want her to do that. You wanted to hold on to that. Sounds like, hmm. Could you maybe tell her next time? Could you try telling her? And that's the little bit of coaching that will help both of them. Just a very light suggestion (laughs) that lets both children know that we're on both of their sides. And then with the other child who's been hurt, I would do something similar. Maybe tell, could you tell your sister what you wanted instead of, you know, trying to grab it away? It sounds like that made her mad. I wonder if that would help. I don't know. But again, don't be the person with all the answers because that's the truth. We don't have the answers. And this is something that they have to navigate, that they will only learn from through their own dynamic with each other. All they learn when we step in and micromanage all of these things, like kind of what you're describing, that you think that you're putting this on yourself that you're supposed to do is micromanaging. And it actually doesn't help because it just teaches our children that they need us to do all of these things. And that screaming calls us to run in. All these things that are kind of just on the periphery of what is really going on, which is just that they're learning how to be in relationships with each other. So come in in a helpful way, come in in a safe manner with a safe attitude that doesn't make children feel like they have a scary <laughs> parent <laughs> in that moment. Um, relieve yourself of all most everything that you've asked me about or, or thought was on your plate. I wanna take all of that off of your plate so that you have a better chance of not feeling angry. And then when you do feel angry, And you come in and you do that, you know, it's going to happen. (laughs) So going into guilt and all that, that's just another, the guilt and the self-judgment, those are all going to thwart our process. Let it come in, let it go, move on, move on, because you are, you've already demonstrated that you are an incredible parent working very, very hard in a very tough situation There's no reason to cripple yourself in this process. And this process is lifelong. I have three children, the oldest is 23, and I'm still in this process, not getting it perfectly by any means. And I'm hoping someday for grandchildren that I will learn even more from. You know, this is, all of this actually is about prevention, because the way we respond is going to be preventative for more of this happening the way that we come in, the feelings we come in with, our attitude, our tone, our openness, our not taking sides, um, our being there for both children sincerely, not pretending, but really sincerely. All of this is as preventative as creating a safe place for them to play in. And then it's going to be about when you say that you're always busy with this and that, yes, you've got a lot on your hands. So you're going to be prioritizing. Okay, um, this needs to get done. And so I just have to finish this one more thing before I go in and find out what's going on in there. Um, just one more thing I want to touch on quickly in regard to what you said about one-on-one time. It's interesting because it seems that many people have a perception, and I'm again, I apologize if I haven't been clear about this, that this approach is for people with just one child or when there's two parents and two children, but not possible for groups. Interestingly, one of the main inspirations for Magda Gerber's approach was the Pickler Institute, where her mentor, Dr. Emmy Pickler, directed an orphanage in Hungary for children zero to three, and it was group care. And what they had was a very small ratio of consistent caregivers. So there would be just a couple of caregivers that those children always had, but not at once. They would be in shifts. So what one caregiver would do would be to have, they all had a safe place to play in and she would go leave her group of whatever it was, six or not even sure if it was four or six. And she would take the one child to get their diaper changed and she would have Complete focus, one-on-one, intimate experience with this one child. Letting the other ones have riff-raff. Again, there were a lot of pre- preventative measures taken in the sense that they had a safe place, that they didn't have adults coming in with emotions about things. It was very calm coming from the adults. Everything coming from the adults was very calm. And it worked. And so regarding one-on-one moments with your child, there may be some that you aren't taking advantage of that are there, that you're just maybe not considering. Even coming into these situations the way I've described, the way that you address each child, this is kind of a little mini one-on-one quality time moment. Let's say your child gets hurt, falls down, or whatever needs a band-aid. Take that time one-on-one with that child. Let everybody else riff-raff. <laughs> Focus in. It doesn't have to be a long period of time, just these moments. Maybe there's a time when you're having, you know, a meal or a snack with just one child or a bath or changing a diaper or helping them in the bathroom if they're using the toilet. Clipping nails. Take these moments not to be distracted to give your child that full attention. Again, this is going to mean letting go of trying to control how everything's going with all your children letting go of it so that you can be with that one child and making that the priority for that moment. So this isn't about a quantity of time, it's about being able to recognize what quality time is, the power of that full-on one-on-one where I don't have my phone and I'm not thinking about other things really giving those moments it could be five minutes a day with each child it could be some days maybe you don't have it with any children but then another day you have one minute with each it's okay let it be what it is you are doing a fantastic job really the fact that you're reaching out I'm honestly quite honored that you would ask me uh these hard questions and and give me this very difficult situation to try to help sort out for you Anyway, I hope this helps. I really appreciate your letter. And don't forget, we can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know.